everyone, and welcome to Unwrapped, a podcast all about the badass women of Hollywood. I'm your host, Emily Vogel, and of course, we have your other host here, Andy Ortiz. Thank you. I always feel like I'm on SNL when you introduce me. <laughs> and live! <laughs> and live from Chicago slash New York, it's Unwrapped! Yeah! yeah. How are you, Emily? Um, great. How are you? I can't believe it's almost May. Yeah, that's hilarious to me. Time is not real. I genuinely like I looked at the date today and I was like, how it's the end of April. I don't I don't understand. I don't get it. I just I never know what day it is anymore. I haven't known for about a year and a half. But hey, welcome to almost almost May. We still got like a, what two more days, 30 days. Yeah, yeah 30 days in April. There. <laughs> um, but Andy, you have you know, you have a vacation coming up soon. Are you excited? Dude, I'm so excited, guys. I think I think we've talked about this on this podcast before. Just take your time off. Like, if you have vacation days, use them. You got to pamper yourself. I'm going to Disney World, not Disneyland. I'm going to Disney World. It has been a minute since I've been to Disney World. And my, like, inner child just sort of needs some healing right now. So I'm going to go for a week and I'm going to eat Mickey pretzels and Mickey Mouse ice cream bars. And I'm going to live my best Disney life. And I'll be, I'm sure, (laughs) documenting it all on social media. You'll see my very, listen, I'm going to have some very cute Disney outfits. It was a process to pick them out. So I will make sure that you see every single one of them. I cannot wait to see. Do you have like a favorite ride or like a favorite land? Listen, this is this is a question that has plagued me for years. I have never been able to pick a favorite in Disney. I prefer I sorry to you Californians. I prefer Disney World over Disneyland. And I know Disneyland came first and it's the original, whatever. I like I like the big castle. I like the space. I just like having a lot to do. I don't have a favorite though. Like I love, I love Pirates of the Caribbean just because I get to live out my pirate dreams. I really like rock and roller coaster because like I'm a coaster person. So like I can never, it depends on the day. It really just depends on the day. I will tell you the one that infuriates me the most though. <laughs> this is the part where people are about to be like, wow, Andy really knows Disney. Is uh, Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin. It's Buzz Lightyear ride where you sh- it's like a laser tag, oh, yeah. essentially. You yeah. la- I'm terrible at it. Terrible. <laughs> and it makes me mad every single time. But I go on it every single time, hoping I'll get better. I have terrible aim. I just, that's that's my life. Are you, I mean, are you a Disney person, Emily? I feel like I always shove Disney at you. I never, oh, wait, you love Gaston. Of course you're a Disney person. Yes. Um, no, a Disney pusher. I push Disney. Um, <laughs> no, I love Disneyland slash Disney World. I, you know, spent more time at Disneyland than I have Disney World. But I think Disney, like, I love roller coasters. And I feel like Disney World definitely has more roller coasters. Mm -hmm. But we also have California Adventure out in uh, LA. I went to um, Tokyo Disney one year. And it's interesting. It was like, everything was kind of like, there was fewer rides, but each ride was a little like smaller, like the the Splash Mountain Mm -hmm. drop was like half the size of the real one or like the other rides were a little like half the speed everything felt a little a little toned down but it was still fun the popcorn there was not popcorn the cotton candy there everything from like green tea cotton candy to uh, the most exotic kinds of cotton candy that like passion fruit cotton candy so many exotic treats um that's wild and they had like a whole aqua land i think so I would never try any of those cotton candies. I'm not like a cotton candy person to begin with, but I'm just not an adventurous eater. So as soon as you said like green tea cotton candy, I was like, mm, no, I'm great. 
Um, <laughs> question, have you ever, this is like my favorite thing to do, like is to try and spot them in the wild. Have you ever like in Disneyland, not obviously in Tokyo, Disney, have you ever run into a celebrity or like seen a celebrity in Disney? Because like they always post photos and they're so hard to find. Oh my gosh. No, I, I have the same thought where I always see celebrities posting at Disneyland when I, you know, were growing up watching like Mike Super Shirt Show or like Disney 365 or things like that. There would always be celebrities at Disneyland slash world, never seen one, but I've always been fascinated by that they go. Have you seen I have seen one. I have seen one see? in my life. And it was, and I was, <laughs> I, I turned very quickly into stalker mode because what I learned is, I, and I don't know if I should give away this secret. I don't know if Disney's going to be mad at me, but I, I won't give it away away. But the tour guides, because when celebrities go to Disney, they tend to have tour guides with them just because they get escorted around the park to keep the crazies like me, like at a 10 foot distance. Those, those guides wear a specific uniform. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want people like harassing them, but they wear a very specific uniform. So if you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you someday, Emily, but if you find it, you can almost bet that they are escorting someone. So just look around. I saw the last time I was in Disneyland, I saw Maya Rudolph and I like, wasn't totally confident. It was her because like, obviously they're not like glammed up when they're in the parks. They're not doing press or anything while they're, they're just being people. They're enjoying, you know, Disney with their families and whatnot. So I'm like looking cause I saw who I knew thanks to an, an insider who I knew was a tour guide. And I was like, wait, there's someone nearby. And I looked and I'm like, and she had like a hat on and her hair was down. She was wearing this beautiful, like long summery dress that was like very flowy. So I knew she wasn't like dying of heat. And I was like, I think, I think that's Maya Rudolph. And like, I didn't want to get close enough to like, excuse me. Hi, are you Maya Rudolph? Um, so I just sort of let her be and I put it even up on social media. And I was like, I think I just saw Maya Rudolph. I think I just saw you in the park. So if it's you, hey, love you. If it wasn't great for your doppelganger. Um, and there's like accounts that you can follow. There's like Facebook accounts and Instagram accounts that are like celebrity sightings at Disney. They like keep track of it. It's like Gossip Girl, but for celebrities in Disney. And sure enough, someone took a picture of her from like the side and it was Maya Rudolph. And I was like, I knew it. So I regret not saying hi to her, but that was my single celebrity encounter in Disney World. That's amazing. I love also following where it's like the fun facts about Disneyland or world where it's like, like the real, there's like a real skeleton, human skeleton in parts of the Caribbean in Disneyland, but like someone who died while that was being made. Also, speaking of like Disneyland accounts, I used to follow the Delphs of Disneyland with like cute guys with like their babies. No, I know what Delphs of Disneyland is. Come on, Emily. No, that's a, <laughs> that's an excellent, excellent account. But obviously, today's, today's episode, not about Disney. I'm just excited. When I talk about Disney, I like to really talk about Disney. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. today's uh, episode has nothing to do with Disneyland, Disney World, Disney characters. Hang on, um, we can probably connect this somehow. Let me think. Hang on. I'm going to find a way to connect this because, drumroll, our guests, we have plural guests today are the one and only Sophie Turner and Isla Fisher. Isla Fisher, did you see her Disney movie? It's on Disney Plus. She did Godmothered with um, Love Godmothered. Yes, with with Jillian Bell, right? Yes. Love that. Love that movie. See, connected that seamlessly. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, so first up, we have Sophie Turner, who we're still figuring out the Disney connection there. It doesn't seem to be one. There will be, um, there should be a Disney princess if I have my say at the end of the day. Yeah. 
Um, so first up, we have Sophie Turner, who is going to chat with us all about the new series, The Staircase, coming to HBO Max on May 5th. Um, this is a domestic crime drama, uh, which tells the story of North Carolina-based crime novelist Michael Peterson, played by Colin Firth, who was convicted of murdering his wife, Kathleen, played by Tony Collette. Um, Sophie plays their adopted daughter, uh, Margaret Ratliff. And uh, this series isn't the first time uh, that Sophie's played the daughter you know, of a family on the brink of downfall. Uh, you probably recognize her uh, for, as Sansa Stark in Game of Thrones. Um, but now with The Staircase, it's kind of a big deal, uh, especially for fans of Sophie Turner, because it marks her big return to acting after taking a few years off to focus on her family and motherhood. Um, in 2020, Sophie and her husband, not sure if you've heard of him, uh, Joe Jonas, welcomed their daughter, Willa, and now she's pregnant again with her second child. Um, so yeah, we're super excited uh, that we were able to chat with this badass mother, actress, and like she seems so cool. And I want to be her best friend. <laughs> you, her husband, yeah. you might know who he is, Joe Jonas, <laughs> <laughs> former Disney star. But <laughs> um, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyways, we're so excited to chat with uh, with Sophie about the staircase. So, Andy, shall we? bring her out before we do i just want to say i'm not usually a true crime person because this is based on a true story and this is it's an excellent series obviously sophie's great and obviously her the people that she's starring in this with are excellent as well i'm not usually a true crime person but this one i really got into this one so i am excited so yes now now let's bring her out Hello, Sophie. How are you today? Genuinely, how are you? Like, how is life going? Hi, guys. I'm good. How are you guys? We're good. We're very good. excited to be talking to you. Very excited to be talking about The Staircase. Before we dive into The Staircase, I, I feel like no one tells you this enough, and I don't know when I'll get to again. The movie Barely Lethal is really, really great, and I just, I, <laughs> need, I, needed, I needed to make sure that you were aware of this, because there is no line better delivered than you wish you had this bod P90X bitch. Anyway, that's my disclaimer for this interview. Just wanted to set the tone. Oh my gosh, that is niche. I'm so glad you like that movie. Thank you. I like that. And I like it as much as I like the staircase, but obviously that is what we're here for. I just, I just had to get it out of the way. Just had to get it in there. <laughs> that just made my day. Um, well, we're going to swerve back and, uh, and we're so excited to talk to you about the staircase today. And the project really marks your big return to acting. So I'm curious to know, what was it about this project where you're like, I need to do this? Oh, I mean, I think I've watched the document. I watched the documentary when it came out in like 2020 I think it was and um I was like completely obsessed with it I love true crime I love anything like that so I was like I I was just already you know on all the forums on reddit on everything like that just like losing my mind over it and then uh when I found out that they were making a show of it I've never done anything true crime I was like oh this is amazing I would love this opportunity and then um you know, I saw who was directing and then I saw the cast and then I was like, oh, it just keeps getting better and better. So it was a no brainer. Well, I'm curious to know how you prepared for this role. Did you talk to the real life Margaret Ratliff? Uh, no, I didn't. Unfortunately, well, so Margaret was, she was very much in touch with Antonio, our director. Um, he he has been kind of involved in the case and in you know in and around the family for 
I think since like 2008. I mean, he was, I think you can see in the documentary, he was telling me him in the back of some of the court proceedings, um, which is kind of crazy. So he's, he's, uh, he's been, you know, involved in speaking to Margaret specifically for quite a long time. Um, but Margaret herself felt like, I think she just didn't, she didn't really want to get too involved in like, in into the specifics and the details and you know it's it's a huge traumatic event for her and and completely understandable and you know I I can get a lot of information from online and the documentary itself so um I you know I'll, I'll leave her in peace and and uh I'm just thankful that she uh, she gave me the blessing to play her Absolutely. You mentioned that part of what drew you into it was the people that you got to work with. Obviously, we l- let's talk about this stacked cast because I mean, like off the bat, <laughs> you've got Colin Firth and Tony Collette playing your parents. Tell me about working with them. Like, uh, what what did you learn from them? Because I would love to sit down for even like three and a half minutes with Colin Firth and just talk about life. Oh my god! I mean, I learned so much. I think the first thing I I I was like asking Colin Firth about, which was like so embarrassing and I'm like why was that the first thing I'm like I'm like that movie that you did with Amanda Bynes like what was that like and I'm like wait he he won like Oscars he's done, hold like, on no what a girl wants is it like is a prime film it is an excellent film Sophie I get it's you. an excellent okay good 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 I'm glad we have uh we settled that but yeah I mean it was just unbelievable getting to work with these people and um I mean like I don't know if you've seen any of the episodes yet, but Colin transforms into Michael Peterson. I mean, it's like really, uh, I, I remember the read through, we did like a virtual read through because COVID um, and hearing his voice for the first time was like, it, it, it just sent shivers down my spine. And then uh, getting to see that transformation up close and like watching one of you know arguably the best actors in the industry right now like completely transform into this character and do something that he's never done before was just like so insane that you get to have a front row seat to this um and and, you know tony and and juliet like michael and it's just the most amazing crew to be a part of feel like I would just be sitting there and I'm like I like looking around like I am I am I supposed to be here this is this is great but like did something happen I felt like a competition winner to be honest with you Mm, okay I I do feel really seen though I love that you brought up what a girl wants because like that's like me coming in here to bring up barely lethal like you got to pick out the niche (laughs) the niche movies in their catalog I feel you I get you so yeah exactly the best (laughs) I mean that being said looking at your own catalog you've been part of some like obviously some huge franchises x-men and game of thrones and whatnot curious how it was going from like big massive things like that to something like this that's very different I imagine on a lot of levels how did that how did that compare for you um you know it was just completely new to me it was so exciting a I was just really excited to go back to tv um because I love tv it's like where I you know kind of honed my craft and so I I just was so excited to be able to work on something for a really long, extensive period of time and, um, and really do like a big kind of character in depth study. Um, 
the differences were were immense though you know I, I I've never played a real person before a real um yeah I, I've never played you know someone who's alive and well and 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 uh, there's already all this knowledge and information about her so that was different um and, and someone who will likely see it someone who will likely see it that adds a hell of a lot of pressure onto it um but uh yeah it was it it was just a completely different kind of um ball game because you know with with other characters or like with with a superhero movie like x-men or with game of friends which is just like super fantastical you can throw around all these ideas of like well what if they're like this and what if they're like this and what you know because there's really no limits um and with this it's a it's not only is she a real person but this is an incredibly delicate and sensitive part of her life um and so it's something that has to be handled with like the utmost care and respect um but you know the benefits of it is you have you have so much groundwork that's already been done for you. You have so much, like a plethora of information available to you. So, um, it, yeah, just a completely different ball game. I don't prefer one way or the other. It was just so interesting for me to try out something a little bit new. Yeah, it is so crazy that, you know, you're mentioning you know, you're playing a real person. And after I watched the the series, I'm actually only got, was able to see five episodes, but I went back after and watched the part of parts of the Netflix series. And I was like, it is spot on. Like all of you guys, it was incredible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, so this isn't the first time, Sophie, that we've seen you in a project that focuses on family or where you played the role of the daughter. Um, so I'm curious, was it different now, you know, now that you have a daughter of your own and now that you have a family of your own. Um, I think it certainly adds like a different perspective. I think, you know, you know how you see your parents as they get older and, and they become like way more sensitive and you're like, I've never seen my dad cry. And now I see him crying all the time. I feel like that. Like, I feel like the empathy and the um, the concept of family has made me entirely much more like emotional person. The empathy is heightened. The feelings about family are just like overflowing. Um, and so the idea of, of, you know, these two girls, Margaret and Martha going through what they've gone through um, in their lives is just uh, devastating. And I think it, you know, it's made me a, a better actor for become you know becoming a mother because as an actor you know the only way to become a real brilliant actor is to experience as much life as possible um, and to bring those experiences in and so this is just another little part of life that I'm experiencing that I get to bring in and and hopefully it it helps my performance in one way or another that's so so well said so beautiful um, but now I'm going to kind of shift and I got to ask, do you think Michael killed Kathleen? I do not know. I literally have no idea. I can't, I, I I've only been asked this twice today, which is so crazy because I've been on like a press junket and the fact that this is the only second time that someone's asked me is wild, but, um, I, 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 don't know 
I think I was watching the documentary and at first I thought, yeah, this guy is a complete killer. And then towards the end of the documentary, I'm like, nah, no, he's not. I've changed my mind. I have, I had super strong opposing opinions. And then going into the show, I was like, all right, trying to rid myself of all like the, the, the opinions and the biases and all that kind of stuff. And just kind of focus on my character. My character is obviously very loyal to, to her father, but um, for me as an actor, I felt like it was important for me to not really hold any kind of leaning one way or the other. And then, you know, you film something like this for seven, eight months, you can't help but throw around ideas with the rest of the cast. Like, well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And now I'm exhausted and I don't know what I think. And I, I've thought everything that I could possibly think. And now I have no idea. My brain is mush when it Lately comes been, to did he do it. After yeah, I started getting into this like deep hole, I'm really into the owl theory right now, where I guess like there was an owl. I don't know. It was all over Wikipedia. That's my latest theory is the owl theory. Really? I mean, it holds up. It holds up. <laughs> and the pine needles and the... We'll see. And the, the, you know, the talent, the three yeah. kind of, yeah, it may, it makes a lot of sense. Could be, who knows? Who knows? And this is how, you know, I'm not a true crime person. Cause I'm like, what are all these theories that you're talking? I don't know. Like, I'm just, <laughs> like I'm just owl theory. I was like, I was like, it I don't think owls have anything to do to with someone this. who like, yeah. Yeah. I'm still, it's, Emily, I'm just stuck on your transition. Sophie, that was so beautifully said. Do you think this man killed his wife? It was very, it was <laughs> I was like, I had to get that in there. I was like, oh no, this is good. The perfect segue. Like, Listen, great. we are nothing perfect. if not seamless as a team. <laughs> well, Sophie, I am curious though, because you mentioned that you're a true crime fan and you've mentioned that now that like you had all these theories. How does being on a project like this, where you really do have to fully immerse yourself in this story and in like the perspectives of the family, right? Because you don't have just your character. You have the people you're acting opposite with and you've got, you know, Colin Firth playing Michael Peterson. How does that color kind of your views, not only of this story, but like of true crime in general? Like, are you thinking about it differently now where you're like, you know what? Like, we don't, we don't know what happened, but like, maybe we do. Like, how did, how did that affect how you see things? I think, um, I think, you know, when it comes to like unsolved mysteries, especially like this one, I used to feel like, like ha I can't even deal with this story unless I know the ending of it. Like I, I need to know the outcome, the truth. I need to find out the truth. Um, and uh, now I find it bearable to sit through something that doesn't, that they don't know the answers to like this one. Really? Uh, we'll never find out the answer. I can now watch Unsolved Mysteries and not freak out. Um, I think the other part of it is shooting this and, and um, you know, seeing and learning about the impacts of this trial and this case on the members of the family and, and the victims, the real victims in this case, which of course is Kathleen and then the the family of uh, Kathleen's family and the people just surrounding this case um it makes you a lot more empathetic I think and um you know I think when you're initially watching or or listening to or whatever true crime I think you know you get pulled into like oh, how juicy is this the gossip the intrigue 
you have to remember like these are real people this is happening to real people and and it's absolutely devastating um and i think you know i just have a lot more compassion um and want to spend a lot more time learning about the people you know that aren't quite you know the perpetrator and the victim but the people that are just outside of that and the the ripple effects of of uh, something like this happening is is has become a lot more fascinating to me can't believe you just said the gossip and you didn't say your thing sophie you got to say the thing that's the tea come on girl that's we the know- tea i know i know you do this so you can't just oh leave me God. hanging that's what i was waiting for thank you for holding me accountable i got you that. i will always hold you accountable sophie but <laughs> unfortunately that is our time sophie thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today we are such such fans of yours and hopefully we will get to speak to you again in the future oh my gosh thank you guys so much have a good thank one you, you, you too, too. I love Sophie Turner so damn much because Emily, if there's one thing you can count on me for, it's to bring up the obscure piece of work in their catalog. And the fact that she was very okay with me bringing up Barely Lethal like that, she's my queen. She's my queen forever, queen in the North. And I just, I appreciate her so damn much. And also, but that is a very real thing to those listening. If you have not seen Barely Lethal, please go watch it. It is an excellent film. I need to see it. So thank you for bringing that to my attention too, Andy. You're you're gonna love it. I'm trying to think of what I can recommend for you for Isla Fisher, who is up next. Yeah, as Andy mentioned, we have another amazing badass actress, mother, who I also want to make my best friend, who has an amazing catalog of past films as well. Um, Isla and her husband, Sasha Baron Co- Cohen, aka Borat, um, have three beautiful children. They live together in Australia. She just seems like, from even from talking to her, just like the coolest person. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, you probably recognize her from roles like Wedding Crashers, Confessions of a Shopaholic, The Great Gatsby, Now You See Me. Those could go as long as the CBS receipt. Um, but most recently, Isla took on a more serious role in Peacock's genre-bending series, Wolf Like Me. The show tells the story of Gary, played by Josh Gad, the widow father who is struggling to provide for his daughter. Uh, but shortly after Gary and his daughter get into a car crash involving a woman named Mary, played by Isla, uh, sparks form between the two adults, but Mary has a secret that she can't bring herself to share with anyone. Um, but perhaps the universe brought them together for a reason. So we're going to discuss all of this and more with the amazing Isla Fisher. Andy, are we ready? I'm so ready. Let's do it. Welcome, Isla. Hello, Isla. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, my God. Thanks for being here. We are both such huge, huge fans of yours. Wow. Thank you. And you. I know who you guys are, and I'm very honored to be invited. Well, we are so excited and we're so excited to chat about Wolf Like Me. And I just want to say, I don't think I like manifested it, but I kind of think I did in a way. I was, my sister and I were trying to figure out what to watch one day. And we're like, you know what we need? We need like a dark series, but with Isla Fisher. And a few months later, like, yeah, Wolf Like Me came out and we like binged it. We loved it. It was amazing. You were incredible. Um, but it felt a little different than other projects you've done in the past, a little darker. And um, it was incredible. But, you know, at the same time, it was dark, but you were still serving us like romance and still serving us comedy and she-wolf energy. Um, so I'm curious to know, I mean, 
what attracted you to the project? Now that you know why I was obsessed with it, what attracted you to the project? Um, and did it feel different to you at, at any point? Well, well, okay. So did it feel different to me? Yes. I definitely wasn't fully uh, prepared for the tone. It, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I was sort of, I, I was, I was told it was a little more comedic than, um, than the scripts ended up being, but I actually preferred the kind of the, the story as it was executed ultimately. But it, you know, it began for me with a very personal letter from the director uh, about an experience he'd had in which uh, he had fallen in love with someone. And um, without going into, you know, his personal details, it was just, it was very seductive from the get-go, this idea. And then, um, and then obviously I familiarized myself with his other work and I have a relationship with Bruno Papandrea, uh, the producer on the film. Um, and so I sort of already had a dialogue with her. We'd almost worked together. We did work together a long time ago, but it just, and I was in Australia and it felt like all the elements came together in one sort of serendipitous swoop and uh, and I jumped aboard, but uh, I was very pleasantly surprised by uh, how kind of emotional it was when I saw the first cut because I'm also a producer on the movie. So, um, you know, and you never know when you get that first edit. Sometimes stuff needs a lot of work, but this was in such a beautiful sort of place. These characters, you could feel the rawness and the vulnerability and the emotional, you know, isolation they were experiencing and the joy when they came together it was beautiful was um and as you just mentioned you are a producer on the film i mean on the series um so what does that mean in terms of your behind the scenes role and, and how much involvement did you have uh, with the development of your character mary um i i had a lot of ideas for mary and i was fortunate that abe uh forsyth our writer director also producer is very collaborative and he loved all of my ideas like i wanted to um you know i wanted to make my <laughs> i mean i had a lot of like fun jokes about like only eating organic chickens and he incorporated all that fun stuff and uh yeah it was it was it was a it was it was sort of on that level and then also on a day-to-day um, not necessarily locations, more sort of whether it be costume or casting or, um, you know, or just like big moments in the show that kind of take the plot in a different direction. I was lucky enough to be on board early and early on enough to have a say in that stuff, uh, which I really, I really enjoyed. It's like a fine line, like you sort of want to be a producer, but then you don't want to do the work. So this was like only the fun creative work and none of the finance or like none of the the, the stuff that's like not fun. <laughs> I feel bad. I just had to mute myself. My dog started barking in the background. And I'm pretty sure he was like, you're talking about like wolf like me. It's sort of like a dog thing. I want to be involved. I just, I, I want to be part of it. I don't know how, I can't quite how, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> Well, I do want to ask because you are you are doing the fun creative work of it. And you mentioned that it wasn't maybe as comedic as you would have liked, at least in the end. But I mean, you still have those moments of levity and those moments of joy and those moments of heartache. How do you guys as a cast, as a creative team, how did you find that balance and walk that line of like, okay, we want this to be, you know, heart wrenching in this moment. We want it to be like really uplifting in this moment. How did you find that balance? Well, it's like, I think in order for it to work, obviously Josh and I had to play it incredibly straight and in a truthful manner for the comic comedy to work and for people to buy into this like elevated trope of a werewolf. Um, and uh, so I always like to keep a twinkle in like all of my characters' eyes to make it clear to the audience that I'm entertaining them. Um, 
And then, of course, in the lighter scenes, it was, I mean, honestly, I have to say it's kind of Abe, our, you know, visionary director's job to uh, to keep a consistent tone. And that's something he does really well. He's done this in other, he's done this genre before um, and he's done it well. So I felt safe in that regard. And then Josh and I just sort of really took direction and uh, I didn't have to, uh, I could kind of surrender creatively to his vision because he is so talented. Yeah, that Josh Gad fellow, he seems like a cool dude. He seems like he'd be a fun time to work with. Yeah, he is really fun. He was really, really fun. Um, yeah, we had a great time. My husband, Sasha, and you had, had known him for a while. They'd been involved in some activism, um, you know, and, and social awareness stuff. And so we were like, uh, we were, and we'd almost worked together once, but he's just, he's the best. Do you have like a favorite memory of being on set with him? Because I feel like there's never, I mean, not never any serious moments, but I feel like Josh Gad keeps it fun. And obviously you are a very fun person. So like, I, I have to imagine there was some hilarity that ensued. Do you have a favorite memory of working with him behind the scenes? Like something that came into the episodes? Like, what did you most remember? I mean, there was the only like, uh, I mean, we, we, we both had to do like a kissing scene pretty early on and he had some sort of like flu and which he'd somehow given to me pretty early on, but it wasn't COVID. But I do remember a moment we just like sort of snogging with snot. That was a pretty bonding experience. Delicious. That's the best. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Just gentlemen. Another time, I had to sort of be in the bath, and obviously, you just have these like pasties on your boobs, and um, obviously, one of the pasties had become loose, unbeknownst to me, and was floating downstream. And there was just that moment where, like, I saw Josh realize before me, and then just very gentlemanly or politely look up to the ceiling, and I like rescued my uh, <laughs> rescued my pasty and my modesty. <laughs> just casually, like, oh man, <laughs> the worst. We're both like, this is so awkward. <laughs> You get through. You got to get through it. Um, so, from what I understand as well, one of the other kind of hard scenes to film were your running scenes, which, from what I understand, dates back to your time during clown school. So, like, so much to unpack there. Tell me everything about clown school, um, and also what what happened that was so traumatic um, that made you so self conscious and worried about running. Right. Well, I mean, I will say I was never athletic and I grew up in Australia where we are the land of wonderful athletes and I was always like the last picked for every sport team. So I had already come into the, you know, the running at clown school with that bagage. Then I showed up and I remember it was like pretty early on we were doing uh, – um, it was this wonderful, uh, this this French clown called Jacques Lecoq who discovered Comedy de Latte in this, you know, little Italian village and brought it to the world. And, you know, we did all these very, you know, this beautiful, fantastic clown work, but some of it was just like tapping into like our, you know, our inner you know, in a I suppose. And I had to, we all had to run. Anyway, for some reason, my run was so funny that he stopped the entire class of like 300 people. And then we all, and then pulled everyone to one wall. And then I had to run from one wall to the other while everyone laughed. He was, look, c'est très, you know, it's like just saying in French, look how funny she is. Look how funny her run is. Um, and then I never really, and then this, that was really embarrassing. And so when I came to do this show, uh, I hired a running coach who was actually a wonderful trainer who was working with some of the cast of Thor that was also shooting in Sydney. And she came to my house and filmed my run. And that was the first time I saw just how discombobulated it was. It was like a hobbit 
that had broken a leg and was trying to run with one arm straight. It was the strangest thing I've seen. And then um, she taught me how to run. And so a few people have commented, and I don't mind bragging, that my running in Wolf Like Me looked professional. <laughs> well, I, have to, I, I, I hate to jump in, Emily. I know you have another question, but I have to, I feel very seen in this moment, Isla, because I actually, in high school, I was given a nickname because of how I run and it stuck with me through all of high school. They started calling me Granny. It was not a nice nickname, but I also, like, I'm, I'm athletic, like a Jason. I was a swimmer. I can do water sports, right? Land sports is not it for me. And so when I ran, I played lacrosse. And so when I would run, we were doing, we would have to like run a lap every day to start practice. And one day we were doing it. My coach kind of stopped. He looked at me. He's like, never noticed how when Ortiz runs, she kind of looks like an 80 year old woman with arthritis. And from there they started calling me granny. So I feel, I feel you on like, on the being traumatized. It is really painful. Those like small, like it's like a paper cut. It see, it feels like nothing, but you get enough of them over time. And suddenly it becomes like a wound that you just like, never make me run on camera. Right. It's like a very therapy session. Yeah. This, I, do, I don't actually like doing press for movies. I just like getting therapy for free and just sharing my problems. <laughs> that is what we are here for. But Emily, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cut in there. I just, no, I needed to. I, I love this, our therapy time. Speaking of, you know, challenges and more therapy here. Um, I feel like traditionally when you're playing an American character, you're have an American accent and you're filming in America. Um, but this time you're playing an American character but you're filming in Australia. So yes. was it hard to keep your accent like surrounded by all it the Aussies? It was. And uh, Abe's also got a very strong accent. And uh, yeah, and I feel like my, you know, everyone was at school in Australia. So there was a lot of the accent around and I I was worried, but um, I hope that I got away with it. It's just, it just involved a lot of like vocal exercises. And at a certain point, I just sort of would only chat with Josh right up to the take because if I spoke with Ariel, our little Australian fantastic uh, actress or the director, I would end up, it was sort of like the last accent that I heard. Um, but I also think I'd come from shooting Blind Spirit with Judy Dench and I had really worked to knock out the American accent to have this like posh English accent, which the sounds come from such a different place and it's so clipped on your tongue and it was so, the consonants are so sharp that I, it was like such a, uh, a, a a muscle workout to find the exact like correct diction for that character of Ruth um, in the Noel Coward piece that then to go American in Australia I, I, yeah I mean I'm not I think I did it um, but I definitely uh, wish uh, yeah I'm definitely uh, we're shooting another series I don't know if I'm allowed to say that but anyway we are and uh, I'm going to definitely make sure that I I, I do a lot more uh, work with my dialect coach beforehand well you sounded great and Andy I'm going to jump in here too now because now I'm thinking of another anecdote on my end of this therapy um so I grew up um, overseas and I went to an international school and one of the schools I went to, although it was a British school, uh, most of all of my teachers and my friends were all Australian. So for a while growing up, I had an Australian accent and my mom would be like, Emily, what is going on? And we'd go back and I'd like, and all my friends, like we'd always like wear like rip curl and like, I just talk like an Australian. Um, but eventually I, I came back to my, my American ways, but I used to like say things like maths and I remember in fifth grade, I was like, oh, mom, I need a rubber. And in America, that means and I was like, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
um, your accent now, Emily. Let's hear some damn number. Let's oh hear. Oh my gosh! Now, now I haven't spoken like a, down. It's bad, but now I'm gonna do like my traditional like good day, mate. <laughs> good. That's actually good. By the way, that's the the hard sounds. Good day is the really good day in your mouth. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, we. I loved always going to Australia, but now now I'm back in my ways. But you did a. You always have an amazing American accent. So good, oh. good job. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, and this might be like this might be like a crafty kind of question, but do you have like a like a phrase that you drop in on to get into your American accent? Like, is there like a, a key phrase that you do first just to get your mouth in that kind of? This, she sat up on the balcony, explicitly mimicking, hiccuping, amicably welcoming him in. I do that one, or how now, Brown? I just I exaggerate basic like the American sound with a few sort of tongue twisters because I feel like if you can say it quick, you can then relax into it. And then, uh, no, I, I usually feel pretty secure in the, the accent unless I have to cry or really scream. And then somehow my Australian just, I was like, ah. I just feel like I, even as I'm crying, I'm like, oh no, I sound Australian. <laughs> I didn't know you could cry Australian. Now I'm going to wonder that when I'm crying. Like, do I sound Australian when I'm crying? <laughs> well, I, I am curious, you know, in Wolf Like Me, you are an advice columnist. I would really like to know what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Like, what is the best thing that someone's ever told you? Um, well, there are so many different pieces, you know, personally, professionally, as a parent. Um I suppose I'm going to go with professional because I'm talking about a show and say that um, it was actually my friend. I saw I'm getting here back. I don't know if it's me. I can hear or like my own sound back on something. But anyway, um, it was, so Naomi Watts, actually, I was always like I struggled, you know, at the start of my career, uh, you know, like everyone does kind of finding, you know, you know, material that you're attracted to, that you that you're challenged by, but it also terrifies you. And you, you know, sometimes if you're lucky enough, you have like a lot of choices. And I remember um, Naomi just saying it really is about the the filmmaker, the director, because you know, sometimes on a page, a character, it, you know, it's it it doesn't feel like you're gonna be able to do much with it or it's small or it doesn't like it isn't necessarily in your wheelhouse to quote um your American agent uh but I have tried to you know whether it be you know Tom Ford or David O. Russell or Baz Luhrmann or in this case Abe Forsyth I uh Ed Hall for example he's a wonderful theater director who with Blind Spirit I try to just work with filmmakers that do have like a strong you know artistic and and vi a vision that um because I do think then um yeah so that's the best bit of career advice that's good advice I almost feel bad going to a goofy question like I'm gonna but you know what I'm gonna we're just gonna hard left right now but <laughs> because that's who I am as a person we hard left always but Obviously, Mary has a secret in this year, which yeah. it ends up, you know, not being like so secret in the very end. But curious, again, you as Isla, if you could secretly turn into any animal, right? Doesn't have to be a wolf. You don't have to be a werewolf. But if you could turn into any animal, what would you like to turn into? I would like to be a tiger. I'm just going to toss it out. I would be a tiger. I, really, I would definitely go with something winged. I think the experience of flying is one that would be very special. What would you? What do you? Yeah, Emily, what would you pick? I feel like I would be, I would want to fly too. Um, I always have dreams where I'm flying. Um, and also my last name, Vogel, means bird in Dutch and German. So I feel like there's that connection there. But I feel like flying would be super cool. Yeah. I think in the past life, you probably were a bird then. I didn't yeah, know I think that. I was. 
well, that's cool. I mean, and then on the flip side of that, Isla is, I mean, if you were date, like it, let's, let's say pre pre-marriage here, you and you and Sasha, if you found out that he was a werewolf, would it have been a deal breaker? Like, do you think that you could have gotten through it? Um, not really. I think I would have become a snack. I, I feel like I'm such a sort of people pleaser that I would forget that I was supposed to lock him in the cage on the full moon and I, he might have accidentally gobbled me up or something. I don't know. I, I, I'm really risk adverse as a person. Um, I'm trying to remember if I was before having children or if it's just post, but um, I definitely wouldn't want to date someone that potentially could eat me. Emily? Oh, that's so hard. I mean, but at the same time, like, I was always very, like, Team Jacob. <laughs> team Jacob Twilight. Oh, so. my gosh. Jacob is that's a vampire. Cool. But wait, could I? I correct. No, wait, I thought Jacob. Which one's Jacob the werewolf? Jacob was a werewolf. Edward was a vampire. Oh, Ed, oh, oh, you were Team Jake. Oh, what was the name of the actor again? Taylor, Taylor Lautner. Lautner. Right. That came really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good at actor names and I'm really big on that series. <laughs> um, but okay, so speaking of relationships, um, you know, Wolf Like Me is filled with so many raw and just beautiful relationships, whether that's between Mary and Gary, between Mary and Emma. Um, so I'm curious to know, did you um, learn or take away anything from playing Mary that you're able to bring into, you know, your own personal friendships and your own personal relationships? Yeah, I mean, I think like Wolf Like Me does have like a take on diversity and the richness of meeting people who are different than us. And I think it does sort of, um, it shines a light on how there, there, you know, you could, you can fall in love with or have a relationship as a friend or have people in your life that are completely different to you and still be carrying similar emotional baggage and still sort of meet each other's emotional needs and it be really rewarding and illuminating and uh you know that that beautiful connection can be found yeah i agree um and now the series also focuses a lot on um like traumas and mental health how were you able to make sure that those things were all portrayed um authentically um, well, I was, even though Gary and Mary are connected by this sense of loss, my characters, um, you know, having eaten her husband and the guilt and shame that she carries with that, um, that was something that, uh, that, you know, that I could sort of find lots of, you know, real life experiences around me that I was able to draw from. But I think the responsibility of that really, uh, I think for Josh with his relationship with Ariel's character Emma and uh, the fact that she, um, you know, was medicated for depression and, you know, they were both bereaved and he'd abandoned her. I think that was like, it was a very sensitive, you know, situation. And, um, and I think we all, you know, did our best um, to try to, you know, portray that as authentically as possible. I think it came through. It's a genuinely, it's a wonderful series. I, I would really like to know like what's next on your bucket list, right? Because at this point, you've had some really fun roles, Isla. Like you've played a magician. Now you see me. You're gonna love that movie, by the way. I had to get it in there. Um, you played a magician. You played like a not like a housewife, but a suburban, a suburban woman turned almost CIA agent and keeping up with the Joneses. And now you're playing like a werewolf. What is what's next? Like, what do you want to like what is left on your character bucket list? 
Um, wow, there are so many characters that I feel like I want to still play. And it's funny, like in your 20s, you kind of get offered a lot of like hot girl role, not hot girl, but like girl love interest role. Then in your 30s, you're still like sort of a love interest, but you're also like moving into like a young mum role. Then your 40s, just like corporate roles or mum roles. And then your 50s, I think you're just like, you know, I don't know. They, it's, it's like it does feel like there's sort of these like buckets of roles that you get put in based around your age. So I guess for me it would be to continue, um, you know, playing, inhabiting people who are really kind of complex and unique. And uh, and I also just think I do a better job at playing characters who are not normal. At least I have more fun playing them. Um, there's something about not having to like subscribe to the social norm in a scene and be able to just like play a bipolar nymphomaniac like I did in Wedding Crushes or, <laughs> you know, play a werewolf, which is impossible. Like, I think I'll always be drawn to kind of, um, you know, characters that are unusual. And um, yeah, and so I'm excited to keep you know, either developing stuff for myself and producing stuff for myself or or working in, I feel like I, knock on word, like I never put the pressure on myself to try to be a movie star. I never put the pressure on myself to try to work all the time. I just continue to like find roles that I enjoy that suit, you know, my, I've got small people to take care of. And so I just sort of like try to keep everything balanced and enjoy it and challenge myself as much as possible. I mean, I'll just put it out there. I wouldn't mind seeing you back as Henley in Now You See Me because I know there's a third movie coming. I know I know that this is a thing. So can, do you know anything? Can you like, can, can you know, really hope I, I heard something, but, but I feel like it always gets pushed. I think there's a, quite a lot of cast members and everybody's got a lot of moving parts schedule wise. Um, and I don't know, I'm not allowed to sort of say anything because as you know, the nature of that that one is such, there's so many fun twists and turns. Um, but yes, I'm looking forward to, uh, without giving anything away, you know, I'm looking forward to that. We I'll take are... it. I will take what I can get. That is enough for me. That is hope. That Listen, I actually, I started loving the name Henley because of that character. Like Aww. everyone's like, what are you going to name me for your kids? I was like, I like Henley for a girl. So just, <laughs> I, lo I love the character. I love that franchise. Aww. Um, well, I know we're almost out of time, uh, but one final question, and you kind of gave some advice earlier, but so much of our audience are young women looking to break into Hollywood, into the industry. Any final advice um, you would give to them? Um, you know, any, I mean, I don't know that I'm an expert on anything to give anyone any advice. I feel like I'm dropping balls most of the time, but I suppose I do think that, um, you know, I do think that obviously like learn as much as you can about the job. There's all these wonderful courses you can do online and you can get information from everywhere. If you want to be a director, an editor, a makeup artist, an actor, there are so many great resources from masterclass to, um, you know, from whatever. And so I do feel like there's a great, there's a great, there's a great way that wasn't as available when I was starting out um, to get sort of get into get an idea of whether it's a good match for you from the outside you know and I think that as much as possible as as hard as you work it does you know um I think it does help it does help and also just continue to you know believe in yourself and you know when you do an audition even if the line is like makes no you have no connection just say it as seriously as possible <laughs> Be as serious as you can in every audition. <laughs> and then obviously try to imagine how everybody else has auditioned, whatever they've done, and then do the opposite so you stand out. But still being very serious. <laughs> <laughs> if you, nobody is going to listen to that advice. Sorry. 
I bet plenty of people will, Isla. I think I would if I was in any way, shape, or form considering being an actress. I can't, but like, I would listen to you. Um, oh, well, thank you so much, Isla, and for that Thanks. wonderful advice. We had so much fun chatting with you. Um, and everyone, please, if you haven't already, check out Wolf Like Me on Peacock. Oh, thank you, ladies. This was fun. This was so fun. Thank, thank you, Isla. You. <laughs>